Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast presented to you by Texas Pete. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, what do Dylan Riola and Lincoln Riley have in common? Um, the word Lincoln. Oh, that's good. That actually wasn't what I was thinking. That's really good. Um, yeah, they do have that in common, or at least it appears they might have that in common. The number one quarterback recruit in the country who uh, made waves by committing to Georgia and may or may not be flipping to Nebraska. TBD on that. I'll just go on the record and say this because as of this recording on Thursday afternoon, no idea what's going to happen with that. But I'll just say this. If Dylan Riola does flip to Nebraska, I think Nebraska might make a bowl game one day. You know, actually, that was the first thing I thought of. Not that I'm like Mr. Take Keeper Upper, but when I saw that video that Nebraska dropped with their NIL offices, did you see that? I have not seen that yet. It's kind of amazing, though. Like, the, you'd be surprised that the places that have actually beefed up the NIL facilities, like even Clemson's got an unbelievable NIL facility. And so I, I, I knew that there were big time plans in the works, but I had not seen the full office in, in terms of like the, you know, the, the actual like finished product of what that looks like. Yeah, it's it's one of the most insane. And, you know, we're SEC guys. We've seen all the facilities. We've seen Clemson, Oregon, you know, A&M. But it's one of the most insane videos I've ever seen. They have their own, like, two kinds of alcohol that they make there. It's insane. And so once I saw that, I thought about the conversation that we had forever ago about, like, will Nebraska ever have a chance to come back? And it's like, with enough money, man, maybe. I mean, we what I said at the time was maybe a head coach could turn around. Maybe Matt Rule is that guy. But it's it's the best they've looked without hopium since Bo Pelini, I feel. Love it. Absolutely love it, of course. No, a um, little bit tongue-in-cheek there. Uh, Georgia fans, don't worry. He's not even going to be good anyways. Everything's going to be fine. And, or if he does commit to Georgia, or if he does stay committed to Georgia, then everything's going to be fine. Don't worry. Um, next Monday, ahead of the early signing period, which is next week, by the way, I will have a breakdown. I've already crunched some of the numbers that I want to go with this. I'm going to have a, a breakdown of how this once monumental day has lost even more significance. I know I talked about that a little bit last year. I have more numbers to kind of back it up. And what this this early signing period has become without the transfer portal restrictions, which got even looser this week with multiple transfers and all that stuff, NIL tampering, all those different things. So we'll talk more about that next week. Uh, today, though, Jake Butt, he is going to join us in a little bit to discuss the Michigan side of this for the Rose Bowl matchup against Alabama in the semifinal. I promise it's not going to be some long-winded conversation about Connor Stallions, and we do spend most of the interview talking about actual football. And I want to mm -hmm. close with something that, um, let's just say, fired me up a little bit. Something Kirk Herbstreet tweeted, 351 words. That the he novel? His, his yeah, first draft he put on there? I don't know. Um, yeah, too many typos to be a final draft, I think. Mm -hmm. So definitely more of a first draft. But I, I got some – before we get into some SEC schedule stuff, I have uh, SEC schedule release superlatives because I just mm -hmm. love superlatives. That's what we do. Um, I kind of buried the lead here. We're, we are not dressed in typical attire <laughs> for the non-YouTube audience who can't see us right now. Will is rocking full button-down – with sweater on top of it, holiday mm -hmm. party type getup, like the most formal I think I have ever seen you dress on on these airwaves. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I've never seen you shirt and tie on on the podcast before. So this is definitely the most formal you've dressed. 
Yeah, man, I'm between, you know, an office party and then our office dinner. So I just popped out really quick to go, you know, record this and everything. But yeah, it's been a really fun day so far. I love this time of the year. You know what I'm saying? It's 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 big boy season. You know what I'm saying? So when you start to get a little bit thicker, you can put on those layers, start to, you know, look buff. Exactly. Totally. It's very much layer season. I I am wearing a hockey sweater. I'm wearing a Jonathan Taves jersey. No big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out Wayne's World. I... I want to propose something to you. And I definitely stole this from mostly sports who's hosted by Mark Titus and somebody else. Um, but the idea I think needs to be with our collective Jersey collections. I think together we have a good Jersey collection. I was going through and I was like, I haven't worn some of these in, in so long. And I need mm-hmm. to find a way to justify keeping them in my closet, not getting rid of them because when you have a kid, you just need more space for stuff. Um, yeah. I think we need a Jersey day. A, you know, we trade off every Thursday that we record one of us. We just trade off showing up with the New Jersey. At the end of this, we have some sort of a vote. It can be a write in vote or something for the best jersey that has been worn on this podcast. And that started with your Jaden Daniels jersey that you wore the other day. So mm-hmm. that is up for the running. I think that should be the, the cutoff, the start of our Jersey contests, because as we've talked about in figuring out before adults wearing jerseys, it's not as easy as it once was, I think at, at our age. So are, are yeah. you done with that? We could, we could work on the, on the parameters. Maybe there's, there's some sort of prize or, or something like that, but just us t- essentially taking turns rocking jerseys. I have 11, I believe after I, I just gave away like five of them. Um, but I have, a, I'm down to 11. So I think if we rotate, we can do this like pretty much through the spring. Yeah, no, perfect. And I need to get a hockey jersey. So maybe that'll be another idea that we workshop because it looks so sick. Like I have the only hockey jersey I have is the one from Berlin that I wore the one time. So maybe I like an actual American NHL team. But yeah, I'm, I'm for it, man. Let's do it. Yeah, I mean, if I was a stickler, I'd say that they're called sweaters, not jerseys. But I'm not a stickler. I don't care. They're a jersey. I, I don't really have any. Well, then I have you're two. 0 for 1 if they're sweaters. So this is, oh, that's a good point. All right. Uh, we, we will count jerseys slash sweaters uh, in, in our jersey contest. Okay. SEC schedule for 2024, all of it, it is finally out. Superlatives, that's what we're going to do. I'm going to be honest. We were texting during this, had a lot going on in the household last night. I did not watch this live. Um, I know that might sound bad considering ESPN, SEC Network, really went all in on the production side of this. When you bring it up, they, they, they brought out the big guns. When, when Laura Rutledge is hosting, you've got McElroy on the desk, Kirby and Booger getting interviewed in the middle of this, Feinbaum was there. I get why they do it, especially now with ESPN having full control over this. You can announce some of these games with time slots, all that, because CBS no longer gets first bid. I think that's actually a positive thing um, in terms of you know getting fans a little bit more transparency and how that's going to work. But for me personally, all I needed to see was the, the finished product. I don't like the NFL schedule release is fun, but it's fun because of the social stuff that comes with it. It's not fun because like they have some show or and it's must see viewing, but whatever. Right. Um, everyone got screwed. Well, everyone. So especially your sucks. team. Yes, you. Me. Yes, you person listening to whoever, this. Your team got, listening. Your team the most. Absolutely. Um, we always knew the schedule was going to look a bit more daunting for everyone with Texas and Oklahoma on board. Everyone in the SEC will face one of those two teams. We knew that that was going to be the case. Absolutely love that. Big, big fan of that. I also love superlatives. So that's why we're going to do that today. Let's start with this one. The dodged a bullet team is Ole Miss. I could start and pretty much end this with Lane doesn't have to face Saban. That's <laughs> a win. 
That that's a huge win. I think that's significant. Lane can say all he wants about wanting to beat Saban. Truth serum Lane would tell you, hmm, he's 0-5 overall against Saban if you include the game that he lost when he was at Tennessee. And that probably weighs on him a that little bit. That was probably bit. the closest one, too. Wow. Uh, was it? Came down to I a blocked field goal. I mean. Yeah, it's true. Uh, 2022 came down to a, a red zone stop. So that, mm-hmm. would, that would be up there as well. Yeah, and then 2020 was the back and forth wild game. That was, what, 63 to 48. Uh, 2021 wasn't close. Yeah, no, man. Okay. Yeah, I would say you're, you're right. That was the closest one. So, yeah, doesn't have to deal with that. Doesn't have to limit Ole Miss's ceiling in the same way that it feels like it does every single year. And obviously, when you don't have divisions, it's a little bit different. Ole Miss, instead of having to face Bama, five road games, four of which are against teams who didn't make a bowl game this season. Hmm. That's good. That's That beats the SEC West schedule. It does. The yeah. one... The one bowl team that they will face in a true road game, LSU. Hmm. Team that they beat this year. And they beat with the Heisman Trophy winner. Yep. Those last true, two true road games are in November at Arkansas and at Florida. Will both of those teams have interim coaches by then? Uh, maybe. As we mentioned on the last pod, you know, the coaches are screwed. So They might just both be screwed. And if that's the mm-hmm. case... Uh, that benefits Ole Miss. So the road schedule, really, really favorable. Plus, you've got two unique marquee home games against Georgia and Oklahoma. That's, that, that is going to set up Ole Miss really well for the 12-team playoff. Really, really well. And if you look at some of the moves that they're making with some of the guys that they're getting back on that defensive line, some of the things they're doing in the portal, you're like, Ole Miss going to have a really, really good chance to be able to hang in the trenches with the vast majority of that schedule. My biggest disappointment as an Ole Miss fan would be seeing that the Egg Bowl is currently scheduled for a Saturday and not Thanksgiving, which Mm -hmm. is a bummer. Um, But that can change, still subject to change. There's flexibility there because I think ESPN is trying to figure out the A&M Texas deal. And if they want to have that on ESPN in that Thanksgiving time slot. They've been trying to figure out that deal for 15 years. Good luck. Yeah, that's true. Um, And I know, like, I think there's a lot of momentum to have that happen, but if you don't have to make that announcement yet, I just I, I don't think you you will. Um, it, it could just come down to whichever teams are in the hunt. Maybe I, I don't know. Personally, I would just love to be able to have the Egg Bowl on Thursday, Texas Texas A and M Friday night. You could still you know you 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 don't really have that Friday that Black Friday night slot reserved in the SEC just yet. I know they experimented with Florida Florida State a couple of years ago with that. And then you would just have rivalry, rivalry week Saturday, which would just be an awesome weekend of football. But now you got the NFL doing Black Friday. Maybe they kind of ESPN wants in on that. I, I don't know. I don't know how that's all going to look. All I know is that based on that schedule for Ole Miss, I will not have them going six and six. I'll say that right now. <laughs> yeah, I will. M- much much better. So that's the first superlative. The best conspiracy theory. Is Texas is the new darling and Georgia is scum? Here for that. Love it. Georgia fans are going to think that regardless, but yes. And Texas fans will think that too. So really, it, it all works out. Yeah. I mean, look, if Texas was coming into the SEC with Florida's schedule, I think there'd be a lot of people like, what in the world did we just sign up for? And that is not the case at all. If you haven't seen the frustration from Georgia fans on the internet, this is basically what it boils down to. F1. It is in Austin the same weekend that Georgia travels to play Texas. 
It is an event that had 432,000 people last year. That means hotel prices are either insane or just non-existent because there's not hotels available. My guy Perry, our guy Perry, he told me that at the Austin Hilton, get this, he tried to get a room a few weeks ago. They said that they were sold out, but because Perry and his family, they're gold members, okay? They would offer them $17,000 a night to stay at the Hilton in Austin. Well, that's a steal. I mean, if you compare it to like Tuscaloosa prices for the Georgia game. Really, no, it's I mean, no, 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 no. Austin's way worse, way worse. The the the, the price for, for Georgia, Alabama that Cole tweeted out, that's like four grand, like four or five right. grand that we're talking about here. $17,000. Mm-hmm. He's not paying $17,000 for a hotel room. He's not doing that. But still, like absolutely insane. So if you're thinking, oh, man, like bucket list trip. George is going to turn Austin into what they had 2017 Notre Dame where they, I mean, they literally had buses of Georgia fans that did the Wrigley thing the night before. And then they were all there and Notre Dame fans are like, what in the world is going on here? It was, it was Athens North that day. And you mm-hmm. can't tell me that didn't play a part in Georgia winning that football game. It's going to be a little bit tougher to do that. It's going to be just a little bit tougher. And, you know, there are a lot of Georgia fans that are looking at those two road games. There's like, I don't know how this is going to work. That is going to be really, really difficult. And that that other game that you were talking about at Alabama, just also absurd hotel prices. The the, the tweet that Cole had with $4,500 a night at the Tuscaloosa Embassy Suites that is already unavailable, is already booked. This is kind of a separate pod, but I, I support capitalism. I do. This is just absolutely ridiculous in the one instance where I wish college football fans would put their foot down and say – no, we're not going to write blank checks to these people. Let's just not do that. But yep. anyway, that's we can that that is definitely a, a different pod for a different time. Georgia, the S, the team that the SEC clearly hates because of all that attention that it brought the conference by winning two national championships, being historically dominant. Uh, obvious reasons for the SEC to hate Georgia. They have road games against two playoff teams, and you also have Ole Miss on that schedule as well. A road game there. That is three road games against New Year's Six Bowl teams. That is mm-hmm. really difficult. Does not include the neutral site game in Atlanta against Clemson on opening weekend. But getting back to Atlanta for Georgia could be really, really daunting. Georgia will face eight Power 5 teams who earn bowl bursts this season. That's a lot. The good news, this is an ideal time to be in the 12-team playoff if you're Georgia. Okay, You don't yep. have to necessarily worry about getting to Atlanta a 10 and two Georgia team that misses out on an sec championship. It's probably fine. You're probably hosting a home playoff game. If you're sitting there at 10 and two, and maybe you split the Texas and Alabama game, or you go two and one or something like that, even one and two in those three games that I just mentioned, you would probably be sitting pretty in a really favorable spot. So as much as Georgia fans have been frustrated about the home slate during the 2020s and how that's also the sec disliking Georgia, obviously, (laughs) If 10 and 2 gets you a home playoff game, it should just be forgiven. Okay. Like that's, yep. That'd be a win. That'd be a win. And also, I would Ten. note that if they beat Alabama, there would be zero playoff teams. So, hmm. We sure about that? Because FSU probably gets in because it, it docks Texas' schedule. Are you saying, like, are you saying this for next year? Yeah. 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 It's like, oh, we got to play two playoff teams. Like, oh, well, if y'all had beaten one of them, you would have zero playoff teams on your schedule. So, cause effect. Okay. 
I, oh, okay. I get you. I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point. Georgia, you you made your own difficult schedule. Right. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Texas gets a nice deal in year one. A really, Imagine really nice that. deal. Yeah. The trip to Michigan will be daunting, but timing could be on their side with that early season game for a Michigan team that figures to have a lot of turnover. We're going to discuss a little bit of that with Jake Budd. But this sets up well for Texas. It really, really does. Texas's only true SEC road game before mid-November, Will, is at Vandy. Oh, man. Yeah. So basically, Texas does not have a true SEC road game until mid-November when it travels to face an Arkansas team that did dominate that matchup in 2021, but more recently went 4-8. So that's really nice for Texas. Also nice for Texas, don't have consecutive road games. Ideal. Really ideal. Got three teams on that schedule with double-digit wins in the first seven games. Michigan, Oklahoma, Georgia. That's tough. But in the final five games, if you could just get through that even one and two, two and one, in the final five games, nobody better than seven and five Kentucky or seven and five A&M. Mm-hmm. That, to me, I'm looking at Texas. I'm already penciling them in for my 12-team playoff. Barring some sort of wild scenario, that, that will be a prediction. I will go on record saying that right now with what they're bringing back. Maybe F1 can set up another event the same weekend of Texas hosting a playoff game. We'll just see how weird we can get with the prices. Yeah, I mean, we are nearing unprecedented levels of Texas's back because you're right. It's like they have like obviously Oklahoma, Georgia, you know, not not going to dump on those two teams. But yeah, it's like to your point, a lot of a lot of these hard games are at home. And so with it, what this schedule sets up to like to your point is we don't know what Michigan's going to be next year. I mean, we don't know if Harbaugh is going to be there. I mean, we wonder that every offseason that there's not a scandal with Michigan. You know what I'm saying? So we might be facing a situation where we have like a lame duck Michigan who's ranked fifth, but isn't really fifth yep. by that point in the season. Texas rolls them, you know what I'm saying? And and maybe, you know, I don't know what Georgia's going to look like, but I would assume they would probably lose to Georgia just knowing like what Kirby does year in, year out. But then it's like, okay, well, look at that. You know, we made the playoff last year. Our only loss is the Georgia, who among us. And it's like, yeah, the, the Texas the Texas folks will be out in full force next year, almost no matter what, because it's kind of hard to screw that schedule up like until you get to that point. Even if Texas loses to Washington in the semifinal, I still would feel pretty strongly about that. And who knows? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't think a mass exodus is coming from this team, but they will lose some pieces to to the NFL, obviously, but they're also going to return and probably could be really, really active in the transfer portal, especially at wide receiver. That's a position to keep in mind. The thing I don't think will matter as much as some are expecting. Alabama traveling to Oklahoma before the Iron Bowl. Cake week is changing, Will. It's changing. It really is. No longer we got like a half, like a remnant of one this week, and it was sad because it was Tennessee, Georgia. You know, for Georgia, that was kind of cake week. But the <laughs> point was, being, like, that was a game we had to dial into. And then Mizzou, Florida just decided to, <laughs> to also be a great game. True. I, I think it was still closer to a true cake week. Like, with mm-hmm. the amount of... With the amount of non-Power 5 matchups, I, I would say this this mm-hmm. year, 2023, was the last true cake week, and it's going to change next year. It, it definitely yep. will. And I know that there are concerns for Alabama, um, mainly by Alabama fans and Feinbaum, um, that are looking at the penultimate week of the season and say, wow, um, this is going to be way different having to go to Oklahoma right before the Iron Bowl instead of facing an FCS team. Um Bama just gets to do that a week before the Oklahoma game. So there is a little bit of a ramp up. So mm-hmm. you have the, the FCS game, they're facing Mercer, 
and then at Oklahoma and then home against Auburn to close the regular season. Uh, Fine Mom said that he thinks that the end of the schedule for Bama is going to give Nick Saban heartburn, but I'm guessing that even Chick-fil-A gives Saban heartburn at this point. When you're on the other side of 70, you you can't even have a peanut butter sandwich without feeling a little something, I would guess. Here's why I don't think that matters that much. If both of those were true road games, fine, 100% on board with that. But Auburn and Tuscaloosa isn't the we-better-be-rested game. It's just not. Bama hasn't lost an Iron Bowl in Tuscaloosa since the comeback. So I don't really think that – and I know we're we're a few weeks removed from a wild Iron Bowl, but it's it's a different game at Jordan-Hare. It it just is. More daunting would be if Bama had Oklahoma at home and then it traveled to Jordan-Hare the week after that. We don't know if that's going to happen in 2025, TBD on that schedule announcement. So for now, I'll say that point is a little bit overrated. Cake week is still happening for Bama. It's just a week early. So I don't know. Make of that what you Mm -hmm. will. I've got an unpopular take. Bama might have the most entertaining schedule to watch in the country. Like if I were drawing, if I were trying to be a roadie or something like that, or just I'm going (laughs) to follow any team, travel wherever they go, I might pick Bama. It's it's that good, Will. You get the road game at Wisconsin. You know I love Camp Randall, especially early oh, yeah. in the year when it's not freaking freezing and I don't have to drive up in snow in the first weekend of November like I did a few years ago. Um, yeah. So we got USF, it, which has been a contentious rivalry lately. Of course. Who could forget? Uh-huh. Classic. Instant classic in 2023. So that one, you can't sleep on that. You got to think the home field for Alabama is really going to push them over the top this time. I would guess. I would mm-hmm. guess. Uh, they could have been playing that game on Mars. I don't think it would have mattered. That it still would have been a close <laughs> game uh, for Bama. But you've also got, obviously, the home game against Georgia. That's game of the year in the SEC until further notice. It just is. Plus, Bama travels to Tennessee, to LSU. They lost at both places last time. And then, obviously, the new matchup at Oklahoma. The schedule with those headliner games, it's super spread out, too. It's mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's the most difficult schedule, relatively speaking, because Florida still exists. That's Florida, but- yep. Yeah, which we'll get to in a second here. But I think it's the schedule that could definitely draw the most national eyeballs despite the the Bama fatigue. And there's just a lot of intrigue there. There really is. And I, it's going to be a difficult schedule to just blindly pencil them in for, for 12 and 0 or something like that. I mean, this is mm-hmm. much more of a one to two loss schedule probably. And that sounds like I'm doubting Bama, which feels weird in the day in which Jalen Milrow goes on with my friends at the next round and announces that he is definitely coming back for another year. There will be a lot of people picking Alabama to win a national championship, and understandably so. But that mm-hmm. schedule could still could could have a couple of different spots in which they get tricked up, and I love it. I love it. That's that's yeah. way more entertaining than than some of the Bama schedules we've seen in the past. This is an incredibly hard schedule for Alabama. I really, I mean, respect to you know everyone who made that happen because I want to see you know I want to see. Bama still play Tennessee. I want to see them still play LSU. They got Mizzou in here. I mean, Mizzou, again, top 10 team right now. Um, so there's really not a ton of week off, weeks off. I mean, obviously you got Mercer and Vandy, but again, you're going to Wisconsin. Like that's the big 10, you know, rallying cries. Like you guys never come up North. And it's like, well, now Texas is going to Michigan. Um, what's who's playing Ohio state. It's not an SEC team, right? It's like, there's a big Ohio state matchup early next year. Uh, I'm blanking on that one. I'm blanking on that one. I, I'm forgetting. We'll get back Ohio to that State's one. But, but point being, yeah, it's like they're going to Wisconsin. Um, Texas is going to Michigan. And so, yeah, I mean, this is, you know, people that want to dump on Bama and Georgia's schedule. This is not one to dump on because even, you know, at Oklahoma, I don't want to get too too in the weeds here, but, I mean, looking down what the potential quarterbacks could be in here, there's going to be a lot of chances for some fireworks. And, and versus Milro, it's going to be great. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I, and I think that's going to be really fun to, to follow. The, I know I say all the time, friends don't let friends bet on preseason Heisman favorites. The Jane Daniels thing, I, I probably should have mentioned this. He was second to preseason Heisman odds. So your boy's Buddy. taking a little bit of a hit. Yeah, and the final mm. one, right before the start of week one. So you were just a hater, okay. I, I'm definitely just a hater. Who are we kidding? But the, the Jalen Milrow Heisman campaign to kind of follow like all the opportunities that you have for a Heisman moment, all those different things, they will definitely be there with that schedule. Obviously, they will come with immense expectations. But yeah, the, the, only, th- the only thing that I'll push back on they won't totally quiet the SEC teams never travel up north until they actually see the playoff games up there mm-hmm. because that time of year is different than than mid-September. I'm not saying that I think that's drastically going to change results. I'm saying the national narrative will, will not be there until we see a, a team like Georgia go up to South Bend in the middle. Oh, wait, they've already done that. But that was mid-September. Yeah. Um, but you, you get what I'm saying. Like until Bama – goes up to Penn State. Oh, wait, they've already done that too. Um, yep. But you get the, the the time of year will be pivotal for for something like that, at least for that narrative to die a little bit. Oh, just to the, wrap this up, Ohio State is traveling to Eugene to play the Ducks. That's what that one is. Sorry, moving on. That was – was that a reschedule too? Because that was supposed to happen in 2020, I want to say. Yep. And then they got they, – yep, yep, they, yep. they had to move that. Yeah, okay. So that'll be, that'll be really good as well. The bro, are you serious schedule is Florida. <laughs> Ever, like, there's no way you can look at this and say anything but that. I'm sorry. It looks like even a schedule you, you make in NCAA 14. Uh, <laughs> even that, you got to be pretty. You, make you got to be pretty bored. Well, you got to be yeah. pretty bored to make that schedule. You're like, I, I've, I've beat the game every which way. I've won six consecutive Heisman's. Yep. I'm just gonna line. Your recruits are all in there. You got all the five stars. You're whooping everybody by thirty. You're like, yeah, let's schedule all of the Florida teams. Let's schedule all the SEC teams. Let's do it all, man. Yeah. Yeah, All the just have me. I'm going to be a three loss team and still in the top five in the BCS standings at the end of the 2014 season. Yeah, that's just the way it works. Uh, not breaking any news. This is going to be the entire discussion about Florida and their season coming up. It is just unlike anything I've seen since doing this job. It really is. Maybe with the exception of 2019 LSU schedule, but. Three of those games that LSU had on that schedule were because LSU earned the right to play in a national championship. Mm-hmm. So it's tough to and sit whoop to, them too. To, and whoop them too, obviously. Yep. Uh, it feels a little bit more daunting uh, what Florida's facing. That's probably the only thing that 2019 LSU and 2024 Florida have in common. 2018 LSU and 2024 Florida, they have something in common. I'll say that. They have a coach on the hot seat facing what will widely be considered the most challenging schedule in America, bar none, not even close. Mm-hmm. I agree that sometimes we make too many sweeping generalizations based on preseason outlook of schedules. I talked about that a lot with Georgia, how I thought we kind of need to be able to adapt a little bit and evolve our thinking as we see some of these teams play. And, oh, actually, Ole Miss is a lot better than we thought. Oh, this team is better than we thought. Mizzou is better than we thought. But what, what I can't get past are a few of these things. Well, Florida faces 11 Power 5 teams. 11 power five teams and the only non power five team that Florida faces is an FCS squad that dropped half a hundred. The last time they were in the swamp, not great. Another rivalry game. Some are saying, some Mm -hmm. are saying I'll admit that there is, there is a path for Florida to get off to a start that makes Gator fans feel like, see, you were stupid to doubt us. Everybody's saying we weren't going to win any games. We're going to go three and nine. 
there is a path for them to overcome that in the beginning because nobody in those first seven games won more than eight regular season games during the 2023 season. And the Mm -hmm. team who did was a Tennessee team that Florida still owns, but uh, games at Knoxville. So that's still difficult. Right. So let's, let's say it's a repeat of this past season. Florida starts off five and two, right? The last five games are the bro. Are you serious? Part of this schedule. Yeah. We're talking extension if they start five and two with this schedule. Yeah. No, 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 no. You can't. There's no way because you could start off five and two and and still be an overwhelming, an overwhelming pick to miss a bowl game. I'll, I'll huh. say that. Okay. Look at this. The final five oh, games God. of the schedule. Yes, <laughs> you're right. Yeah. Georgia and Jacksonville. Don't need to say much on that one. At yep. Texas, home against LSU. Home against Ole Miss at Florida State. Well, that is five top 15 teams, four of whom are playing in New Year's Six Bowls. And the one who isn't is LSU, who is currently in the midst of its longest win streak ever against the Gators with five consecutive victories in that matchup. Three top six teams away from home. Florida doesn't even have a bye week to break those matchups up which it technically could have because everybody's kind of getting like two bye weeks this year because of how many teams are playing in what's called week zero, whatever. I have more thoughts on that later. Florida is facing 10, 10 power five teams with bowl eligibility this season. Even 2019 LSU in a 15 game schedule that ended up looking like a gauntlet. We looked back on that. We're like, oh my God, they played how many top 10 teams? They played a total of nine power five teams with bowl eligibility in that entire 15-game schedule. Here's the good news for Florida, if there is any good news whatsoever. This is going to be talked about so much that by the time Florida actually gets to play a football game, it could help temper some of those unrealistic expectations. There's there's something to be said for that, and I was just on with, with Hester and Bobby Carpenter on off campus on Sirius XM, which you should listen to all the time. Um, mm-hmm. And Bobby was saying you get fired because of expectations, right? Mm-hmm. The expectations for Florida are going to be low. They just are. They, they really will. The bad news is that if that's the best thing that we can say about a team's outlook is like, well, the bar is so low that maybe, you know, Florida could actually meet it or exceed it. That's probably not good. It's one thing if it's year one. Maybe even year two, I'll give you that. Year three? Mm-mm. Nope. Mm-hmm. Don't like that. That's going to be bad. Any other thoughts on Florida's gauntlet? Um, yeah, I mean, the uh, funny note about this schedule is this forces them to have Tom Petty night against either LSU and Brian Kelly or Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss. That's tough. <laughs> I will say. Yeah, not, the the thing is, you got to do it against LSU because what you don't want is Lane Kiffin making fun of that or doing his yeah. little Lane Kiffin thing he always does because he will walk out in the Tom Petty shirt. He feels like a fan. It is a cool tradition. Mm-hmm. It is so cool. Like seeing that in person, even in, in a day game, a, a Saturday afternoon game, I was like chills. I still would watch that video on my phone every once in a while. You're on a flight or something like something like that, and you're like, all right, you know. Uh, maybe a little bit of turbulence is setting in. You're not feeling like your absolute best. And you're like, I need to get like a little bit of an adrenaline rush going right now. And I would watch mm-hmm. that video all the time. And I'm just thinking to myself, this this is peak college football. Uh, doing it when you have a coach that's on the hot seat and you're thinking to yourself, uh, man, are we going to get to a bowl game this year? Not the same juice. 
Just not. Yep. It's not, which is too bad for Florida. Too bad. Yeah, and I mean, we. I'll, I'll just say this now because we'll preview them, obviously, but, like, play the young guys early if you're Florida because they're going to need those reps at the end of the year. You know, if you play a bunch of veterans and whatever – and they're like you said, five and two. They're cruising. They're looking good. And then you get to the back end of the schedule, and you haven't. And now you're starting to have injuries. You're starting to have guys who haven't seen the field before. I'm not saying start the young guys, but get them lots of reps because you'll need those guys, those those Billy recruits for the back end of the season. Ideally, but then if you're sitting there at four and three, you're like, oh my god, this is this is staring at four and eight right now. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's a tough. I, I don't really. I don't, I don't know the solution. I don't know the solution at this point. If I had the solution for you, I I would say this is Florida's path going seven and five. Uh, will that save Billy's job with this schedule? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe they win it one should. or two of those games that they're not supposed to. Like, yeah, in theory, it should. Does mm-hmm. seven and five show you that the plan is working? I don't know. I don't know. That'll be a question we'll have to ask down the road. The don't like that, but at least it's not Florida things that stood out to me with this schedule release. You're not going to get these superlatives anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Auburn will not play a home game in October. Hmm. Yeah, not great. As I told our friend Brian Stoltz, go ask Arkansas about that this year. Not fun. Sam Pittman, he hated what that did in terms of hosting recruits. Though in hindsight, if we're being honest, it probably would have hurt Arkansas had it been able to host recruits at home in October. I was about to say, the games they did get to see hurt them more than being on the road, so it might have been a gift, actually. Blessing in disguise. September 28th, they that Auburn will host Oklahoma, and then they do not return to Jordan-Hare until November 2nd against Vandy. A&M is Auburn's only post-September home game that kind of moves the needle. It's kind of it's, – it's a rough home slate this year with, with it being an even year. That's usually the way that it kind of lines up. Facing three New Year's Six teams on the road, they typically have not thrived with the even-year schedule because it means traveling to Bama and Georgia. Cam is the only one to lead Auburn to nine wins during one of those even years. I mean, that's mm-hmm. in the last, what, like, that? he's the last one to do it, 2010. Not ideal. Another thing I don't like, I don't like how unfamiliar South Carolina's schedule is. Weird take, but no oh, wait, games. Really quick, like, you, can, I, can I say something about Auburn real quick? Um, I will say, like, I... I it makes me so sad that the LSU Auburn rivalry is ending. And I just saw a post that was just like the so long partner. That has been my one of my favorite games. I mean, I would probably pick that behind like Alabama and Florida in terms of and honestly, I mean, I've had more fun watching Auburn and Alabama for sure. Um but yeah, I mean that the experience is so great. It's still obviously the Tiger Bowl and all that. Um but yeah, I mean it just sucks. And to your point, it's like, you know, they've been playing at and then home for Georgia, Alabama. Like it's been two, it's, it's been both away, both at home. The fact that they had a chance to fix that and just didn't is so weird to me. Um, and then also a fun thing of note um, in playing the New Mexico Lobos, they get a chance to go one and one against the state of New Mexico in the last two years. That's really big for them. But the Lobos are a much easier matchup than the Aggies, way mm-hmm. easier. So that Auburn's going to be just fine with that. I agree with you. I'm going to miss the Tiger Bowl. I love Tiger Bowl. It was one of my favorite games that, that I've ever been to, 2019. Um, and, and it's one of those games that I think, though, I think that even though it's not going to be played on an annual basis, and I will miss, it, it's probably the game that I'm going to miss most from that 2024 schedule that we usually get in the SEC. I do think it's one of those games that when those two teams do play, they're just going to pick up where they left off like old friends. They will. Yep. And weirdness will ensue. And we'll again be wondering how in the world is this game so close? I have no idea who's going to win this. It is the ultimate like throw out the records type game. 
I guess this year, last couple of years have kind of changed that, but still it, it just feels like those two teams will still have great matchups, even though it won't be every year. And I agree that is kind of a bummer. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. South Carolina. I don't like how unfamiliar their schedule is. Very weird. They're not going to have games against Georgia, Florida, or Tennessee. <laughs> good for them. That's, uh, yeah, good. For, I mean, th- they're replacing it with difficult matchups, too. You've instead got Oklahoma, Bama, Ole Miss, and LSU. So, oh. well, yeah. I, I don't know that that's really an upgrade. Um, I, I don't like that for Beamer's sake that all of those games I just brought up, Oklahoma, Bama, Ole Miss, and LSU, those are all pre-November games, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Josh Pate always talks about October being a thing. I don't think yeah. it is. Uh, I think I think November is when they thrive. I, I really do. Um, you can't ask him to pull off an upset before the calendar turns from October to November. That's just right. That that seems unfair, unrealistic. Uh, conspiracy theory says that South Carolina is robbed, and the schedule is an absolute joke. So don't like that for them. Yeah, Let's have some fun. At Clemson as well. So yeah, there's some weird stuff going on with the schedule. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And like you said, it's like Frank Beamer or not Frank Beamer. Shane Beamer is like kind of like a crock pot. It's like he has to kind of heat up throughout the year, kind of tenderize. So yeah, to your point, it's like you got LSU, Alabama, Ole Miss, Oklahoma. Like you could be, you could be looking bad pretty quickly. That's that's tough. But anyway, Shane Beamer's not a microwave. He's a crock pot. Mm-mm. Yeah, Micro- microwave. They'll heat up out of nowhere. Um, I used to love. Using that expression when it, you know I was writing about basketball or something, the six man off the bench, he's the microwave. Yep. Just, yeah, he had six points in like 45 seconds. He, he just instant offense for you. Uh, Shane Beamer, not so much. Not so much. A little bit more of a, of a slow burn. Low and slow. That's the way to go. I don't like that Mizzou signed off on traveling to wait for it. UMass. Again. They can't no, no, not again. away with this. No, no, Why no. Why do we keep playing UMass? Everyone just keeps playing UMass for no. some reason. Mm-mm. This is different, Will. This is different. And here's why. I realize that's not breaking news. Okay, we're just talking about the SEC schedule as a whole for next year, all those different things. Right. In no world, in no world should an SEC school be traveling to UMass. Okay? Mm-hmm. I pulled up the UMass future schedule because I'm just, I'm a sicko. That's, that's what I wanted to do with my time today. Here is the list of Power Five teams traveling to UMass. You got your email blowing up right now. Dang, they're... yeah, I'm trying to change my audio, but I am. It's not working. No. Continue. Sorry. No, you're you're good. Uh, so here's the list of Power Five teams traveling to UMass the rest of the decade. The rest of the decade, will it's Mizzou in 2024. That's the list. All right. That's the entire list. I hopped on the the Daily Hampshire Gazette. No paywall yet. Still got four free articles left. In case you were wondering, use those up, the, guys. If you don't use them, you lose them. That's true. I'm, I might just have to peruse around, see what's going on in the Hampshires, and mm-hmm. figure out old Hampshire. <laughs> how's it? How's he doing? I, I have no idea. I, I don't know why Nobody they they settled on, on that. Nobody does. I had to do a book report on New Hampshire once. I, I got. We just got assigned random states. I learned a lot about New Hampshire that I very quickly forgot. Not an interesting time in my life. It was not. No, let me, let me tell you. Here's the that. most random parallel between us. I had that, but with Maine when I was in like sixth grade. So I could tell you anything about Maine. You still know stuff about Maine. You retained oh, yeah. it. Okay. A little bit. Because it's a fun, you know, it's a black bear state. It's a fun, fun little state. State bird. Go. Oh, that I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Shows you how much you really retained, Will. <laughs> Enough to BS about it, apparently. You got me. Yeah, that's fair. Huh? Huh? 
All right, just saying. Okay, so the Daily Hampshire Gazette, it had this headline from 2019 mm-hmm. when this was this matchup was agreed upon. And the headline read, UMass football lands Missouri game with aggressive scheduling. Buddy, if you don't think that hooked me, <laughs> I found out a few things about this. One, mm-hmm. UMass didn't even do some standalone announcement for this game. It just buried it with a bunch of other games for the 2024 season. We couldn't even get a social media graphic for this. I don't know why they didn't do that. Wasted opportunity by the UMass social team. Major failure on their part. Another thing, UMass has hosted, I'm putting that in air quotes, hosted Power 5 teams before. But to that point, 2019, all of those games were hosted 90 miles away from campus at Gillette Stadium. Mm -hmm. So so why is this game happening? Why in the world is this game happening? I had to figure this out. Here's the quote from UMass AD Ryan Bamford, who I gained a lot of respect for in this article in the Daily Hampshire Gazette. (laughs) This was so worth the 15 minutes I spent on this. I I often talk about wanting to get time back in my life. Um, Mm -hmm. I would want to get time back to go deep dive into things like this. This is the quote. No matter what market you're in, it's always supply and demand. We knew that we had a lot of supply because we're an independent, and we knew Missouri didn't want a big payday for somebody to go there. If we're going to play an SEC opponent, we're not going to go on the road for less than $1.5 million at least. They weren't going to pay that, and they weren't going to play in basketball. So I just threw out, you guys need a game badly. I know you do. And you need it in both years. Let's do a home and home. Remember, this is 2019. This is Mm -hmm. five to six years out from this matchup. And this UMass AD is basically like, you're going to have to forfeit a game if you don't agree to this by the end of this phone call. All the respect in the world. All the respect. I'm imagining that TikTok sound with the beat drop that's like, you need this game. You're broke. Boom. Because you know what's yep. funny within that? They, I don't know why I've had to watch so much UMass football, dude. Remember they played A&M a couple of years ago at A&M? Was We've talked about UMass before. I, I don't know if they were the one. No, they didn't play Arkansas. But They played Auburn also, this past year, early, yes, early in the season. Yeah. Yes, and they're also traveling to Georgia in yep. 2024. What yep. is going on with this team? <laughs> I've got more. I've got more. Okay. We're not done with this. Mizzou wasn't crazy about playing at UMass because why would anyone be crazy about playing at UMass? (laughs) They wanted to do as the other power fives did. Like, let's let's play at Gillette. Why why are we going to play at your campus? But instead, this UMass AD, Bamford, this legend, the world's best negotiator as far as I'm concerned, got someone at Mizzou who used to work at UMass to vouch for the facilities at UMass. Bamford, he outlines these plans to upgrade the stadium, and Mizzou agrees. They agreed. Mm -hmm. Folks, if that is not a reason to support local journalism, I don't know what is. I want Ryan Bamford to negotiate my next contract. I need that guy in my life. I might slide into his DMs. This might be my new Churchill Bass. I don't know. (laughs) This guy's awesome. Uh, yeah, 
that rules. And then, like I said, the best part of that that's kind of biting is like, we're not traveling for this amount of money. But again, they scheduled Georgia. So what that means is Georgia paid them that amount of money. And so it's almost kind of a backhanded insult. Like, oh, Georgia could afford to host us. But I guess you got, you got to wine and dine me a little bit more. All right, Mizzou? Like, I'm not just going to go slide over there, like, for less than 1.5 milli, bro. <laughs> what are these athletic directors doing? How in the world do you get guilted into planning something that's that far in advance. Like you just can't find anybody. Like you're just absolutely screwed. Like every other FBS team is just filled. And you're like, oh, guess we got to agree to these terms with UMass. We're going to have to make a trip up there. Like Mizzou's going to be coming off of a New Year's Six Bowl and they're going to play a game at UMass. That is just so bad, man. That is so bad. And the best part of that is I'm sure they've changed athletic directors since then because they have uh, Desiree, the name I always mess up. Desiree Reed Francois is at Mizzou. It used to be Jim Sterk. And I'm I'm guessing it was Jim Sterk who did these negotiations. I don't want to throw him totally under the bus. Maybe he had a gun to his head. I don't know. It certainly <laughs> feels a, like it. His family member hostage while he was talking to this. Or if you hear that, guys, like when someone just has it, you just hear it in their cadence. And like I could literally hear that in the cadence. So I just want to say that about like, don't blame the current Mizzou AD because it's not her doing. No, it's not. It, it's not. Look, I've been talked into some dumb things before. I've signed up accidentally for a couple of credit cards in college that weren't really credit cards that were more like rewards things. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. I just... I listened to somebody tell me that I could save 20% off on this purchase. And then I was like signing something and spinning a wheel. And I was like, what the hell am I doing? Um, So I've been there. I've been there with people that negotiate really, really well. It happens. Sometimes people show up at my door and they're telling me about solar panels. And I'm just sitting there listening, nodding my head going, there's no way I'm going to do this. And then by the end of it, I'm like, ah, you know what? Maybe I could use that. This Bamford guy, he is a seller, the seller of all sellers. Listen, Unreal, when you man. don't uh, read the terms and conditions of like Apple products, it actually includes a road game at uh, UMass. So we all have to play at UMass now. Bamford actually finessed all of us, so watch out. <laughs> I is there there's a greater than zero percent chance that that actually happened. So mm-hmm. wouldn't rule it out. Any other SEC schedule uh thoughts? Kind of hit on this before about like the the, the 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 fact that we are pivoting away from from SEC and CBS means that we're going to get a little bit more clarity on some of these game times. We've already seen the the time for the the Georgia Bama game come out. You could that that's going to be more fan friendly, I think, and that'll ultimately be a good thing. I don't like that in this schedule announcement they listed all of these openers as week zero games. Everyone's playing in week zero. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. used to get mad that a light slate was called week zero. And I said, no, it has to be called week zero because if only a fraction of the teams in FBS are playing, and if the majority of teams were starting in week two, that would be Mm -hmm. really confusing and weird. They did the super confusing thing and made it so that week one is now everyone's second game. And if that's going to be the case, I'd like to boycott the crap out of that. I don't like that one bit. Hate that. So week zero. Ugh. Yeah. Um, yeah, hundred percent. I think we, um, I'm noticing that the, okay, well, I will say just a couple of things. First off, the SEC is better at scheduling like television than all the networks combined because I'm sitting here and it's like not even worth previewing any of this stuff. Cause we don't know who the quarterbacks are going to be for like half of these teams. We don't know the transfer portal. We don't know any of that. So it's created a whole other ecosystem of takes or, or at least just opinion not takes, but just like, okay, like we can't even project how most of these games are going to go other than the teams that you know, who their coordinators and who their quarterbacks are, which is like two teams. Um, so great job by the SEC having an event, making that into a separate thing, but then having a follow-up to it after the portal closes, because it's unfair to say how 
you know, I mean, LSU could go get a uh, random quarterback and Nuss could hit the portal. It would be completely different. I will say it looks like Vandy has been completely thrown to the wolves here, um, worse so than UMass. It looks like every hard schedule is just like they threw Vandy in there just to give somebody a bone. Um, and, yeah, I mean, they, they also play – they host Virginia Tech. So going with – and they're at Georgia State. Yeah, man, our boy Clark Lee <laughs> – Avoid Clark Lee. They host they host Alabama. Yeah, man, this is going to be not a good football team. I mean, I don't know how good they're going to be, but I don't see how many wins are on the schedule because, yeah, this is one of the harder uh, schedules I've seen too, but it's like I hate to be this guy, but it's like we just don't think about Vandy like they're going to be contending, so we don't like, oh, this is unfair. It could say this. like they're cannon fodder for these hard teams. Like, oh, yeah, you got Oklahoma, Alabama, Georgia. We'll throw Vandy in there. It's like, why does Vandy have to be just – rolled by all these good teams to, to be fair i any schedule is going to look daunting for vandy for vandy that that was just going to be yeah. reality london humphreys at georgia might be an all bang the drum team member coming into mm-hmm. this season the vandy transfer uh he, he cooked georgia on that, that that miscommunication they had in the secondary in that first touchdown but um yeah look everybody feels like their schedule is really difficult Okay, mm-hmm. it, it's reality. It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. I promise you. It's gonna be okay for everybody except Florida, probably at this point. Totally. Man, it's gonna be rough. Really, really rough. All right. Let's kick it to Jake Butt, former Mackey Award winner. He is as good as there is on all things Michigan. So this felt like a nice time to be able to catch up with him ahead of the Rose Bowl. So here's Jake. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Big Ten Network analyst. And former Michigan star Jake Butt. Jake, uh, I feel like since we spoke in the summer, nothing with Michigan has really happened. It's been a pretty forgettable season. Uh, true or false? I feel like an eternity has passed since we talked in the summer, man. Everything's happened. I mean, my goodness. I know you're, you're uh, messing with me a little bit, but talk about an absolute roller coaster of a season for sure. Yeah, uh, I feel like every Michigan fan, former player, current player, uh, person who has worn maize and blue or oh, whatever. I mean, you are now at this point being so far into this whole thing, so used to being like us against the world that it's got to be impacting normal areas of life. Like maybe you go to the grocery store and the card reader doesn't work for the first time and you're like, arguing that it's the card reader's fault and it's not your own fault. Have you found yourself becoming more defensive in in everyday life with things that come up like that? I had the card reader issue at the gas station today. But, uh, you know, when this news initially broke, of course, being in media, I had to cover this like nonstop, nonstop. So I was letting it get to me. And eventually, you know, you just get to the point where you say, man, look, it is what it is. And uh, when I was happy, you know, the Penn State game, when they finally like kicked the ball off, I was like, I'm just happy we're finally going to talk about football. Like, my goodness, we get to talk about football. Um, And, you know, look, you know, Coach Harbaugh got suspended three games. He uh, served his suspension. Now we'll see how the NCAA uh, investigation plays out. Uh, I don't think any I don't think we'll ever reach a general consensus where everybody agrees on what's right versus what's wrong and what the correct punishment is. But, you know, what can't be denied is the success Michigan had on the field this year. And um, look, they're playing a damn good Alabama football team in the Rose Bowl. If they can pass that test, they have a chance to play for a national title. That part can't be denied. You know, that part cannot be denied that the, the level of talent on this football team and the way they've executed down the stretch. 
it's a fair take to have, I think. And there's there's nothing wrong with with being fatigued by it. I think whether no matter what side you're on, there are a lot of people that are just kind of like, all right, enough of this. Football question, actual football question as it relates to this game. JJ McCarthy, his health. Do you question if he's healthy at this point? Has he looked like the same guy, or do you think there's something that's been been bothering him that could linger into the Rose Bowl? I thought it was pretty clear he was, you know, beat up in that Penn State game, certainly Maryland, certainly Ohio State. What I respect about him is you don't hear excuses. You're not saying, ah, well, you know, I was beat up. And and I really, really appreciate that. Look, if you're going to play, you played, period. If you don't want, if you don't, if you don't play, if you're going to talk about it. But man, there was a couple times he took a hit in the Penn State game and he got up real slow, real ginger, uh, gingerly. And, um, you know, he's certainly not 100%. Of course, nobody's 100%. I'd expect, though, with this, you know, this period of uh, off time, everybody has a chance. It's one of the better parts about these playoff games is, you know, guys that were borderline healthy get to go into the game healthy, you get to see both teams at their best. What was your reaction to seeing Bama come across as the that opponent for Michigan? Was it similar? It's the one that we saw from Michigan players uh, on TV? Or did you go in the other direction and you're like, I'm going to go make a We Want Bama custom T-shirt in maize and blue. Probably a bad move. I wouldn't advise doing that. But did, did how, how did you react to, to seeing that Bama was going to be Michigan's opponent? I was shocked. I mean, I, I really thought Florida State, you know, being an undefeated Power 5 conference champion, um, I get that it wasn't pretty. But I also said, man, they, they were with their third string quarterback. They were going to have their backup back for the next game. Um, and the defense played lights out against a pretty damn good Louisville offense. Uh, so I was like, all right, hey, look, they did enough. Um, I thought they'd get in. I didn't really understand the logic. And uh, I'll say this. I'll say this. I'm excited to watch Alabama-Michigan play. I'm excited for the four teams we have in the playoff. We'll probably break every viewership record. I I, I can't wait. And um, You know, for Michigan, there will be no denying. If you can beat Nick Saban in Alabama and you can win, the, like, look, you took the hardest route possible. But I will say I was just looking at this and I'm like, man, Florida State, to me, deserved to get in. I don't understand where we all of a sudden decided it was the best four teams. Since when Ohio State was ranked number one the whole year, and we all said they're not the best team, but the committee said, well, they have the best resume. So they told us it was the resume. When did we hear it was the best four in any years? I don't understand it. I also say this, and I think Alabama fans would even agree. It's a dangerous game to say to a committee who may or may not be experts on college football anyways, Yes, we give you guys the right to subjectively tell us who you think the best four teams are in college football. It's a dangerous game. Also, best four teams, Georgia is one of the best four teams. They lost to a damn good Alabama team. Georgia is one of the best four teams. So I'm just breaking it down where I felt contradiction, contradiction. This is... This does not, this logic is inconsistent, which has always been my issue with the committee, and it didn't really make sense to me. But the fact of the matter is, is we got two excellent matchups coming up for the playoffs and what will probably be an excellent national title game. So as a fan of the football game, I'm excited. I think Michigan is, if you're asking the, the majority of college football fans, they would say one of the best four teams, whatever that means by whatever subjective metric you want to look at, eye test, whatever that may be. And I love the way that they have beat teams at the line of scrimmage. I mean, that's been a staple of this run that they're on, obviously. I think if there are two questions about Michigan, it's the depth at pass catcher and the one that I don't know that it's being talked about a ton, 
But the the quarterbacks that they've faced, Talia Tungvalo is a nice player, really nice player, all-time Big Ten passing leader, okay? Like, that, that guy has had a great career, and I applaud him what he's done after transferring from Alabama. If he is easily the best quarterback that your team has faced, your team hasn't faced a whole lot of good quarterbacks. Which area of, of concern do you find yourself thinking about more? Is, is it the quarterback deal, or is it perhaps the depth at pass catcher? Oh, definitely, it's the quarterback deal because I think that's that'll that's where the game will be won and lost for for Alabama. Um, I'm not I'm not too concerned about the quarterbacks they face. I mean, this defense is extremely veteran. It's the same system. They faced C.J. Stroud last year. They faced C.J. Stroud the year before. They've seen some damn good quarterbacks. Um, even Sean Clifford was a pretty damn good call, uh, college quarterback. Um, I think that the the defense is capable of. Uh, you know, doing what needs to be done to execute. But the the issue is, is every defensive coordinator, when I call games on the weekend and, uh, you know, you talk to a defensive coordinator, they say the number one thing that keeps them up at night is quarterbacks that have the ability to use their legs and create. So, of course, that's what Jalen Milrow does. Uh, that, that's 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 got to be the biggest concern. I don't I don't even think depth at receiver is an issue like they have depth I think Roman's good I think Cornelius Johnson's good I think Samaj Morgan has done some nice things I love the tight ends Colston Loveland and AJ Barner um, even Donovan Edwards the running backs can catch out of the backfield I think they have depth I just don't know if they have the guy that's elite that you who's the guy they go to when it's third and six and the game's on the line what's the concept you go to you know Ohio State can throw it to Marvin Harrison Jr. and he'll solve a lot of issues I don't know that Michigan has that guy that that is to that elite standard. You you're really good at doing a lot of the, these breakdowns. Have you had a chance to kind of dig into to the the Jalen Milrow comp of like what he looked like early in the season compared to what he looked like at the end of the season yet? I think it's part of it is is well it, it's a it's a natural development, right? It's just you're, you expect to get better in time. It's literally like riding a bike, right? Um, I think the fact that Saban kind of sat him down in the middle of the season was extremely beneficial. I mean, what happens is is you just play game after game after game. And there's no time to really reflect. It's like that game's over. We'll watch the film real quick, but then it's on to the next game. So by having him, by sitting him down, gives him a chance to kind of just breathe, catch his breath, slow things down. And the way he finished the season uh, obviously looked like a completely different quarterback. Um, the offense as a whole looked different with him playing. So I know it, it does take more than one guy, but I mean, you, what you, what happens in college is you get like a spectrum of like potential, like that, where they are at their best, where they're at, where they are at their worst at, at his best. He's a, one of the most dangerous quarterbacks in college football. I don't think that can be denied. If Michigan beats Bama, who's the Michigan X factor that we probably aren't talking about enough leading up to this game? Mm, that's a great question. I think, you know, you could look at it and say, you know, Mikey Sainristil, the nickel corner for Michigan, is an interesting piece because of what he can do for Michigan's defense. They said he, he blitzes often. He'll cover in the slot. He moves around a little bit. He plays zone coverage. And what's going to have to happen in this game, right, is I think Michigan has to play zone coverage, which they do. And why that is is because we call it zone eyes. Man coverage, you're, you're, as a defensive back, your eyes are on the receiver or the tight end or whoever, meaning your eyes aren't on Jalen Milrow if he's running. 
zone coverage, your eyes are going to be in the backfield watching the quarterback within your zone, which allows you some more flexibility to make plays. He's an interesting piece. And in Alabama has, you know, they've given up some pressures and they've given up some sacks. So Mikey Sainer still is a, a guy that can come in there and make a difference. And the last piece for it, um, turnovers can be so big. I just expect this to be a close game in general. I don't think either team will blow the other one out. A turnover here or there can make all the difference. Mikey Sanders still is the guy that forces turnovers. And Bama, that, that's been the, the thing that's made them so good down the stretch is they've only had the one turnover since halftime against Tennessee, and that has really cut down since they dealt with those early season issues against Texas. I have a weird observation that I keep thinking about, that if Michigan is winning a national championship, if that is going to be the path, that I think we'll look back on this and say, all right, we should, probably should have been a little bit more aware of that. They have by far the most experience in the playoff of any of these three teams. And for those who say like, oh, well, what about Alabama? Went to a national championship two years ago. Look how different that team was two years ago compared to the team that they are fielding in this game. Is that, is that something that, that truly should matter when you get on this stage and you have been there in consecutive years? And I understand like there are a lot, there's still a lot of turnover from that team that lost to Georgia two years ago. And it's not exactly the same Michigan team, but how much do you think that can matter for a Michigan team that obviously is not going to be overwhelmed by this stage in the, in the way that maybe they have the last two years? Oh, it absolutely matters. But where I'll say this is I think it matters from a coaching standpoint as well. And that's where Saban has a huge, huge advantage because this is a weird period where, you know, it's like a shooter in basketball. Like when you're hot, you don't want to stop shooting. That's that's the regular season. And all of a sudden you have a month off in between the games. How do you structure that month? to set your team up for the best, you know, the most successful day possible. Well, Saban's proven he's done that. Michigan hasn't won that playoff. So though the experience will be good for him, you know, it, it could work against him in the sense like, hey, guys, we've been here, but we haven't done it. Is that our identity? You know, I will say this. I look at the Michigan-Georgia game and it felt like a few years ago, the lights were a little bright for that team. The, Georgia looked like they were playing at a different speed. I look at the Michigan TCU game last year, and I think Michigan was a little too relaxed where they just, you listen to them talk, they felt like it was a foregone conclusion. They were going to win that game. So they went from one extreme to the other. What the natural progression would be to settle somewhere in between those two, as far as this game goes, and see some improvement. I think the fact that they're playing at the Rose Bowl, it's a familiar place. I know these guys haven't played there, but, you know, Michigan and the Rose Bowl, there's that association. So um, and just the fact that the team's experienced in general, going back to the offseason, fifth most pro uh, returning production in college football. So that, that's part of the reason why I've liked them all year. This is a veteran team in general as a principal. So th those kind of things do matter and they do help Michigan. It's a great stat that Bill Connolly puts together every year, and it always shows – that man, that improvement for those teams at the very top, it feels imminent. Kansas, Mizzou, those those teams in Michigan being one of those teams at the top, it does feel like an improved Michigan team. You played for Harbaugh. You're extremely dialed into this team, obviously. With what we know and also really what we don't know about this NCAA investigation and all that stuff, does it feel like this is a window that's closing after this season is over? Sure, it does, but maybe like – not, not, not eternally. Like I, I just think it's closing because Michigan might have 15 guys get drafted next year, right? There's going to be massive roster turnover. Um, you might lose your quarter. You might you talk about the fifth most returning production in college football this year. 
they they might be the opposite end of that spectrum next year. I mean, they seriously you could go across the list and just r- look at how much talent they're losing. You know, timing is a big piece of national championships too, man. It's you know, in college you just have these got the roster turnover is so significant. Uh, you know, timing matters. This is the year for Michigan. They're veteran at every single position. Next year, those guys are going to be playing on Sundays. So I, I do think the door will probably, at least the, the the battle to the top, and then you combine the schedule as well. I mean, my goodness, it's going to get harder. Do you have an unbiased score prediction for the Rose Bowl? How about 21-17, Michigan? I think it's going to play out very similar to Ohio State, Michigan. Def- Defensive-led, a little bit lower scoring, uh, close game where neither neither fan base, both fan bases are sweating a little bit as the game goes on, but you know I'm riding with uh, Michigan. Okay, so the answer is no. You do not have an unbiased score prediction for the Rose Bowl. Yeah, well, no, that would be my honest analysis, but it, it just so happens that on the Venn diagram, there is a little bit of crossover. That's fair. That's fair. Last one for you. Uh, let's, say, let's say your former teammate, Grant Newsom, uh, maybe he gets another job and suddenly – Michigan tight ends coach, it, they they got an opening. If they want you, and they they say, Jake, we're, we're calling you up. We think the time has come. We love the work that you've been doing on Big Ten Network. We think you've got a bright future in coaching. Are you picking up the phone and answering that call? Uh, this, this is what I'll tell you. I will always, if, if Michigan calls or Coach Harbaugh calls, um, I will always pick up the phone. I will consider it deeply. I, uh, there's no way I would say no chance to that. I don't know that there's a there's another school or program that I would seriously consider it uh, coaching, but you know I, I love Michigan. I love my time there. I love Coach Harbaugh. Um, I love the university. I love the guys. So I would absolutely take that call. Grant Newsom will be climbing the ladder very soon uh, as well. That is that is a true true thing, and and that will not surprise anybody. So maybe maybe it could come true. Who knows? I think he's on one of those thirty under thirty lists. I'm just just saying, you know, the opportunity yeah, you just never be. know. As he should be. Yeah, he does a phenomenal job, man. Amazing story, too. You do the reverse Brenneman. That's what it would be. Like he, Exactly, you, you would... yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Balance, man. We could be the yin and the yang, basically. Yeah. Brenneman, yeah, exactly. The reverse Brenneman. <laughs> Jake, really appreciate the time, man. Best of luck with Good everything time. that you got going on. Thank you. So, Kirk Herbstreit is still upset that people are upset mm-hmm. <laughs> about the playoff. I wanted to put this at the end of the pod because if you are sick of the Florida state debate, I hear you. I totally understand it. I'm even sick of it a bit. I thought we had moved on, but then when the biggest voice in the sport quote, tweets someone with a 351 word response on the app, formerly known as Twitter, apparently that means we haven't moved on and there is mm-hmm. more to discuss. Someone asked Herbie why he had Bama in the playoff ahead of FSU before the Jordan Travis injury. And that's kind of what set Herbie off, even though it it looked like a really nice tweet about Ben, but whatever. Herbie said, just kidding. I'm not going to read the entire thing. It's way too freaking long. It's way too long. I'm not going to read that whole response because unlike the quote from the UMass AD, I'm not exactly on the edge of my seat with every sentence. Okay. I'm just not right. Herbie essentially it's a living said, version. It's a living version of that mean that's like, I'm not reading all that, but I'm happy for you or sorry that happened. He didn't even note zap it. How, how are you able to do that on Twitter? That's so long. It's too long. That's what you get too with much. that blue check mark. He is getting every cent out of that blue check mark. Unreal. So he basically said that he had Bama ahead of FSU before the Jordan Travis injury because he believes Bama is better 
and he used all caps and two exclamation points. And he said, so is Texas, so is Michigan, Washington, Oregon, and Georgia. Herbie said that he watches 10 to 15 games a week live from September. It's early December and that he believes he is allowed to have an opinion on who he thinks is better. And that FSU, like obviously those fans don't really like that. Or if they don't like it, that they should tell the selection committee to change the protocol to the quote, four most deserving teams. And they should put all their efforts towards that instead of getting mad at Herbie. I have several issues with that, with, with what Herbie said, because as great as he is, he is dead wrong for a few reasons. Mm -hmm. Dead wrong. For starters, the selection committee saying a week before Selection Sunday that it's never been about the four most deserving and that it's always been the four best is hot garbage. It is mm -hmm. so unbelievably wrong. They have always defaulted to the number of losses, okay? And I know we've talked about this before. FSU fans are upset because they changed the protocol this year to make this rule to keep them out. Herbie is right that he is allowed to have an opinion on who the best four teams are, or at least what he thinks are the best four teams. We all have a right to have an opinion about that. Nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Like People him. don't understand how freedom of speech works, by the way. It's like, I can say whatever I want. Yeah, but I'm going to make fun of you. So can I. Yeah. Freedom of speech doesn't mean freedom of consequence. It's not, right. it's not the way this yeah. works. We, we both watch a ton of football, right? Like, mm -hmm. I would like to think that anybody listens to this show would never have a takeaway. You might not agree with everything we have to say, but I would like to think that everybody who listens to this show is never going to come away from this thinking like, oh my God, those guys didn't watch any football on Saturday and they just read a few headlines and it shows. Okay. And there are certain places where you can definitely say that. So I'm not saying this to try and be like, I watch more football than anybody else. We watch a lot of football. We do. That's mm -hmm. that's what we are. That's what we were paid to do. I would do it if I wasn't paid to do it because I love this sport and it's awesome. What I don't believe, Will, is that my opinions of the best four teams should be the barrier to entry for the four-team playoff. Nor do I believe that Herb Street has earned that right as great as he is. Why? Why if he hasn't earned that right. Why Why is it not supposed to be about just the best four teams? Think about this. Herbstreit is so good at his job that he literally jet sets every weekend all over the country to talk about both college and the NFL. Okay? I mean, I, I, I always look at that Instagram post that he has. That I'm like, oh my God, he's going to San Francisco this day and then he's going to be in New Orleans this day and then he's going to go up to Philadelphia. Like, I, I follow it every single time. I always want to look at it. I think it's fascinating the amount of miles he goes. He goes everywhere. I love hey, his good insight. For him. Like, yeah, we, we he deserves it. He's not some bum. He's not just getting carried around and just like being a gas bag. Like, I do think he watches games and does the work. 100%. He is worth all those private jet miles. I love the insight, the passion, the energy. I think he's great for, for just football as a whole, right? I, I, I'm mm -hmm. fully on board with that. So what does it tell you that Herb Street was dead last by a mile in those college game day super dog picks this season? What does that tell you? Mm. In the regular season, he had five points. McAfee had 96.5 in the Superdog segment that they do on College Game Day. You get five points for when your Superdog covers a spread. And including Conference Championship Weekend, they had 15 weeks worth of games. And Herbie had five points. I am not saying that to take a dig at Herbie. 
Here's what I think is worth remembering that he is wildly overlooking. He, in his brilliant football mind, cannot predict these results because if he did, he'd be flying on private jets with all of his gambling winnings. And instead, he earned his platform because of all the football that he watches. And even he, that guy, can't sniff out an upset pick. You can watch all the football in the world. You can think you have teams figured out. And then, hey, 60 minutes doesn't happen like you thought it would. Happens all the time. Did for Washington in the Pac-12 against Oregon. Okay, Saying that all you care about is getting the best four teams in and, oh, let's just get the best four teams in. That's all I care about. It's arrogance. It is. It really is. It's I know and you don't. People act like the four most deserving teams means that you have to include like 2017 UCF or just go based on number of wins and losses. And you don't. You don't. But Mm -hmm. FSU beat 11 power five teams. 11. Okay. The games have to matter, which was why I said a million times, if you tell me that I have to apply that same logic to Bama and Texas, I would say, yes, the games do have to matter. Bama beating the two-time defending national champs who ended their 29-game winning streak and doing that on a neutral site, that game mattered. So I'm sorry to beat a dead horse. I know. We're supposed to be past this. We are. But I just got fired up again when I saw Herbie just again try and double down on this and say why he felt that it was the right move because he just knows who the best four teams are. And that's why he's going to continue to bang this drum based on his football acumen, which covers everything except for predicting results. And if you're leaving out an undefeated team, you're doing this crystal ball thing. And you're saying, I'm looking into the crystal ball. If we put you into the playoff, it's going to suck. That's what they're saying. That's all they're Mm -hmm. saying. And that is not what he is paid to do, and that's not what the selection committee is supposed to do, despite what they're trying to tell you. Herbstreit's paid a lot of money, and he gets to fly in all those jets to do a lot of other things. It's not predicting results. It's not. It's just not. And when you're saying that it had to be this way, you're only saying that because you believe now, and you believe that you know that this is how it's going to play out with FSU getting in. So I just, look, I've already said, like, I think Bama – was deserving. I, I would have put Bama in the field. I would have put Bama in over Texas despite the head-to-head. I get all those things. Like, man, I just think this is a losing argument, and it just bothers me so much because I, I literally went back and watched College Game Day because I'm like, I'm pretty sure Herb Street has gotten like one spread covered in this entire thing, and the mm-hmm. get the best four teams in crowd is the same as the well, what would the spread be crowd, and that just infuriates me because those are wildly different things and it's so unbelievably subjective yeah i 100 agree with you i think that to further put a bow on your point and this is what you said but it's like the reason why it's not like laughing at the guy's gambling record it's more about just like these games got to get played like at the end of the day everyone thought that despite washington beating oregon twice the third time would be the time that oregon was a 10 point favorite and they got smacked again you know what I'm saying? Everybody thought we including thought last Georgia. year. You're including the game that they played last year and then saying that's yep. that's the third time. Yeah. Yep. I got yep, you. Yep, yep. And because people don't like to, to, to think Oregon was better than Washington, you have to be like, well, that, that game doesn't count. It does. Um, and so point being, um, you know, I and like same deal with we both, you know, had Georgia over Alabama. You know, sometimes it's just it, it, teams come out and they're just a little bit different. You know, we've seen Purdue beat Ohio state. We've seen, maybe that's the microwave is Brom. Maybe he's the one that just comes up and well, that's good. <laughs> I don't know where it beats you. That's but um, anyway, so 
and I think the other part of it too, man, is that, you know, whenever you're trying to do a negotiation or make, give a speech and, and, and Herbie is such a, a great speaker and he's such a, a guy who can put stuff in a layman's terms. I would say this, you got to always identify the stakeholders, right? So at the end of the day, how does Kirk Herbstreit's life change at all based on who gets into the playoff? It doesn't, right? Because he still gets to call the games. He still gets to, you know, his life literally does not change whatsoever, especially not not to be this guy, but I mean, Ohio State's not even in. So it's not like his friends, it's not like his former teammates would be better. None of these sure. things really matter to him, right? And so point being, um, you know, who are the stakeholders here? Who could genuinely be hurt and who has the right to be upset? Kirk Herbstreit does not have... I mean, again, you have the ability, right? You can do whatever you want, free speech, but it's not fair to say, okay, well, I'm just going to unload because I've been treated unfairly. And it's like, dude, you're, you have a dream job. You're living the American dream right now. You're talking about football. You're doing a great job. And the reason why you have all these blessings is because you succeeded at such a high level. But at the same time, you know who's not in that situation? Those players in the FSU locker room. You know what I'm saying? They're never going to have a chance to play this game. And and many of them will never have a chance to play in the college football playoff because it's not a ton of freshmen and sophomores on that team. And so those people and those fans who watch their team as be basura, you know what I'm saying? They've watched Jimbo Fisher leave them high and dry. They've been through six, seven, eight lean years thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I mean, we may just never get out of this. The ACC is whatever. Clemson's got their foot on our neck. And they finally look to like getting over the precipice. You just take that opportunity from them. They have the right to be upset and you do not. I'm sorry. And you yeah. can be as upset as you want, but people are going to roast you because you deserve it. Because at the end of the day, this doesn't matter. Like it, none of this in the, in the X's and O's grand scheme of life, none of this matters. But even in the scope of college football, your life doesn't change. You aren't sad or happy. It doesn't matter who gets in. So you can change a pick like that and it doesn't affect you because we're just on to the next thing. And that's just how this business works. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. You shouldn't be living and dying with every take. The people that get way too invested and, and really get upset and really say, okay, this is my take. I'm not budging. That's the wrong way to do it. And, and, and Herbie's not usually one of those guys. And so changing your opinion is fine. If you have new data, that's fine. I'm not saying that's wrong. In fact, in most cases I'd respect it, not necessarily this one, but I think that this isn't a whole like, oh, they're they're all attacking me for my opinion. It's like these people are upset for good reason. I mean, it's like, you know, imagine you're, the, you're a Cubs fan and in 2016, they're just like, hey, brother, you guys don't get to make the playoff this year. Sorry, the Brewers get better ratings. Like, it's just, it's, it's not riot. I would have rioted, Will. I would have cried, not happy tears, angsty mm -hmm. tears. It would have been, it would have been awful. Yeah, you're right. Her, Herbie's point is that, look, I saw this team live. I was there. I was on the call for that game against Florida, and I feel like I know. I just know. And what he doesn't take into account and why this is so frustrating to listen to is like, all right, it's like you're basically just saying that because of your opinion and because of the opinions of others, we need to ignore these other factors, these other resume factors that have previously been worthy of making the playoff. The previous nine years of this system, just because of your opinion, because you think you know best. And that to me is like where all of this falls apart. And again, I'm not trying to dog his his gambling acumen or, or anything like that. I am just saying Herbie is pretending like by knowing the best teams, you have a crystal ball. He does not have a crystal ball. There's no way. And that's why FSU got screwed. Okay. Like that's what this comes down to. I don't even know that it's so much a ratings thing or, or whatever. Like, yeah, I mean, you get it from an entertainment standpoint. You don't want to have a repeat of 65-7. I get it from all that. But anyway, I just... If he's going to go 351 words on it, we're allowed to go 10 minutes on it. That's what I say. <laughs> I love that the CFP screwed FSU on the way out and the new system just screwed Florida on the way in. It's great. Anyway.
It is great. It is great. Both we'll have a nice little, yeah. Yeah. We'll have a nice little Thursday night. Uh, I know you got a lot of stuff to get to. Lauren said to me last night, she's like, hey, you know what the 30 for 30 on 97 high has been like? She's like, let's watch that on Thursday night. I'm Ooh. like, Okay. No take backs. <laughs> no take backs. <laughs> so that is what we will be doing. Hey, uh, I just thought of something earlier. I'm glad you, you mentioned Lloyd. You know what we should do to determine Heisman votes? We should just blind call randomly like a poll of the significant others of all the Heisman voters and be like, how, how do your Saturdays go? You have a good time? <laughs> that's, a, that's a good way to look at it, Will. You guys be eating and, dinner on Saturday? Y'all go out and yeah. go to the farmer's market? Or are you yeah. miserable? <laughs> How much it, the more miserable you are, the more qualified that your significant other voter is to be able to to submit a ballot. I, look, I, I'll sign off on that all day. Lauren's miserable. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> those, the amount of takes that I throw at her and look, Lauren does such a fantastic job and is probably overdue mm-hmm. for a last of the week for the support and the support that everybody endures of dealing with football season and all that that is demanded of us, especially on weekends, all that she has done. Being what I say all the time, like kind of a single parent on Saturday, I still change all the diapers. I still do. I promise you. But there is something to be said for that. Will I like that? It's a great criteria. I, you know what? They they know best. That they know who the best the best Heisman voters are by virtue of mm-hmm. that. That's a take I can get behind. Love it. Betting the Bulls first episode has already dropped. Marler, myself, our XL Media gambling expert Bob Wankel, um, who does great stuff for us. Plan is we have four of these episodes that are going to be coming out. We have already previewed the Power Five non-New Year's Six Bowls. There's 22 bowl games that we gave that we gave gambling advice for. If you subscribe to this podcast, you already saw it. You're like, oh, what's this bonus episode? Go listen to it. It's awesome stuff. If you're doing confidence pool, you're betting against the spread, props, live betting, whatever. We are going to have you covered. Again, like I said. No need to subscribe. It's just there in your feed. It's on our YouTube channel as well. Saturday down south on YouTube. We're going to have all of our usual normal episodes coming out on Tuesdays and Fridays that we always do, but we will be hitting you. So you're getting three episodes a week if you subscribe to this Saturday Down South podcast during these lean months when there aren't games you know, in the SEC going in full swing just yet. So awesome, awesome stuff that we're going to be able to bring to you. I was really, really pleased with the way that the first episode came out. A lot of great stuff. If you have not, you should leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can watch every episode of the Saturday Down South podcast, which is presented by Texas Pete. Follow us on the app formerly known as Twitter, at the SDS pod, at Set Down South, at CJ Okura, at Go So Hard. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.